0: Hello, thanks for tuning in to Story Living, where we learn from inspiring leaders and their stories. I'm Jack, founder of Light Adventures, a certified coaching firm on a mission to illuminate people through story development. For this episode of Story Living, we have the pleasure of speaking with PPS Narayan, who is an engineering leader at Apple with a story of personal mastery. From his time working on complex systems of the India railways, to leadership experience at Nokia and Yahoo, we're gonna learn how to master work-life balance and build influence within organizations. So without further ado, let's flip to the first digital page of this story and dive in. Hey, PPSN, thanks for joining. How are you doing today? I'm
1: doing great, Jack. How are you doing?
0: I'm doing really well. And where are you joining us from?
1: I am uh, at home in Palo Alto, California.
0: Wonderful. And I know it's been quite the journey to arriving there and would love to tap into some of that leadership wisdom you've accumulated over the years. Uh, Before, though, we get to business professional, would love to backtrack to your early days in childhood. I believe you had an early interest in coding, uh, but you're also quite the athlete on the soccer field, uh, taller than most on the basketball court and significant influence from your mom. So with all those factors, I'm curious how you got into tech.
1: I uh, I was uh, interested in building and engineering things right from when I was a kid. Uh, both my mom and dad encouraged me quite a bit. Uh, my dad was a chemical engineer. My mom was a teacher. My mom, in fact, went back to school. You know, after you know we grew up uh, uh, to be about you know 15 years old. So there's a lot of motivation at home to learn and grow. And as a kid, my dad got me one of these small Casio programmable calculators that I would sit, I remember I would sit hours and hours sitting and doing some basic programming in the basic programming language on this computer. And that fascinated me as a kid. And I was like, I wanna be uh, building things which were cool and uh, innovative. And that's how I got into computer science.
0: Wonderful. And love to hear more around, um, you know, some of those accomplishments you started to accumulate. But before uh, the career, we'd love to have you share a bit with our viewers of what it was like growing up in the education system of India. And maybe compare and contrast a little bit, because I think you have some kids now doing distance learning in the States. So just views on the different education systems might be interesting.
1: The education system in India was, uh, it was great uh, as a, as a kid growing up, you know, there's a lot of focus on math and science. Um, that's how I got into uh, computer science. Uh, I, I was always like very, uh, I, 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 I was interested in math quite a bit and I was very analytical and solving problems, solving puzzles, uh, coding things in such a way that to solve large scale problems. You know, even even when I was a kid, I remember like building these small programs to display things on the on the screen of the computer, and you know that got me started. And uh, and in India, the education system was in such a way that um, as we were going into high school, there was for the first time when I when I was going into high school, computer science and computer engineering became an option as an elective to take, and that's how I got into it. And when i see the when i see uh, uh, how my kids uh, learn in the us and the uh, the education system is very very um, inclusive and it's very diverse in the sense that they, kind of, they get they get exposed to a lot of different things my kids did broadcasting computer science home tech all kinds of things that would tell them how to expand their horizons and learn new things and that was very that's very different from what What we experience as kids when we're in India. But in India also I think uh, you know as the years have gone things have become much more diverse and inclusive uh, as well.
0: Great points and especially with you know the current emphasis on diversity and inclusion in corporate environments so important these days and uh, you mentioned early days uh, in high school starting to code and work on some uh, interesting problems which is maybe a nice segue because after school I think you were recruited and started working on a really complex system, which was the India Railways. Um, so maybe paint a picture of really how massive that is for us uh, who haven't traveled on it and what it was like doing some early programming for them.
1: That's a, uh, you know, the, I remember the first, uh, I, I, I graduated from, uh, I, I, I did my undergrad in computer science. I, I finished my uh, bachelor's degree. I got a job. And my first job was to go and work on this massive uh, ticketing system that was built for Indian railways. In those days, about, if I remember correctly, there were like hundreds of thousands of rails that, that uh, you know, routes and trains that would go through the Indian railway system. And people would just come and, you know, there were millions of people traveling by Indian railway system. It's a pretty diverse and complex network. Probably China has one that is comparable, but as compared to the U.S. and other parts of the world, it is very very complex and big. And when I joined, I joined the ticketing system that was uh, built for Indian Railways. And in those days, there was this thing called as a mini computer, and it was built on uh, the, uh, the the mini computers from uh, uh, I believe it was a VAX computer. It was it, it had this thing from uh, uh, Unisys, I guess, if I remember correctly, and. Uh, it was it was daunting and, and, and at the same time exciting to see, you know, such a complex system build and run and being able to book reliably all the uh, tickets that need to be uh, uh, given to the passengers that were traveling. You know, millions of them traveling on this railway system uh, in the country. And it, uh, I still remember, you know, there were these big rooms and there were these big computers with. Trays that you could pull out, and there were disk drives, and it, it almost looked like a data center of those days. Uh, this is like 20, 25 years ago, and uh, I was pretty amazed to be working there. We 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 we, we work, uh, you know, shifts because there was booking all the time, and we would go and like do maintenance in the middle of the night, and it it, it was a fun ma- uh, thing because the system had to be always up, had to be reliable and it had to be able to scale for millions of users in those days.
0: Wow, incredible. Quite the uh, experience coming out of school and fascinating that, you know, fast forward to what you're doing now, which is joining from a small room on a much smaller device, but probably much more computing power.
1: Yeah, yeah. Um, I I, I remember that, uh, uh, you know, the same kind of requirements you come to when you come to a large scale system uh, you know, in a company like Yahoo or Apple or whatever companies that you're working in, these, these systems, is, these things that happened, you know, 20, 25 years ago have gone to massive scale to global scale now. And, you know, thinking about it, uh, I'm just, uh, even, even the Indian Railway System has probably grown like 10x complex than what I experienced back then.
0: Wow, that's awesome. And so, you know, before you got to the Yahoo's and Apple's though, I think you eventually moved on to a startup. And wonder if you could just briefly share the story of I think you were building some websites that were used for Yahoo um, before you eventually ended up working at Yahoo. So what was that like, early days?
1: Yeah, so it was not used by Yahoo, but uh, you know, the, the website that I was working on in the in India was called uh, IndiaWorld.com. This is in uh, way back in 1995, around the same time that Yahoo was formed as well. And I remember. Uh, the goal of that website was to be like the Yahoo of India right so every every user that wanted to come and learn about the news about the stock markets about sports all the things that are happening about India mostly targeted to expats who are living in other parts of the world would come and be able to get news and up-to-date information and I, I joined the startup and I was like fascinated, I, I I still remember, in those days we used to get, uh, there were no live feeds of stocks or things like that. I used to get this floppy drive from the stock market, which would have the quotes of the day, which I would take, I wrote a script to uh, parse all that data and upload it into a, into a database and then serve it on the website. Uh, every day at 4.30 in the evening, I would get that floppy here with, 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 uh, with the data. And this is all before the days of the cloud, before the days of, uh, of, of uh, you know, real-time data feeds and stock quotes and things like that. And it was fascinating to be able to work on that, on that website and that environment. And it so turned out that, you know, 10 years or uh, almost 15 years later, I started working at Yahoo and, you know, all those memories and flashbacks came back. And when I came to Yahoo, it was, it was fascinating it was just it the, the whole
0: internet had grown so much in that time that uh, it was a completely different experience. Fascinating story indeed. And so this early experience really helped shaped, um, shift and maybe shape where you were headed next, which I believe at a certain point ended up going for your master's. So I'm curious for you know our viewers and listeners who are maybe navigating different phases in their career, potentially thinking about going back to school. What was your decision process for going back to uh, get your master's?
1: I, I uh, It was a very fascinating uh, experience uh, because I felt always that you know, I I kind of felt like I went with the crowd when I was doing my undergrad, and like everybody around me was doing engineering, and you know, you had to go and do engineering. Though I was always interested in computer science, I never felt like I went deep enough to like learn them or master the art. And mm-hmm. I would. And when I when I worked for a couple of years first with the railways system and then with the startup, I felt like you know I had a lot more to learn, and with the experience I had, I I kind of felt I had this ability to, now i would seen something in the industry and how do I relate that back to all the things that I learned and how I can learn more and bring that back to the industry. So I decided that going back to the masters was like, I felt very passionate that I want to go into that next level of I At one point I was thinking of doing my PhD as well, but uh, but the masters was like, I, I really wanted to do it. And that's why I went and did it. And at that point, it. It was because I had this lot of learning from the industry. I knew all the problems, and, or at least i seen some of the problems in the industry. And I wanted to go back and learn and go deeper into some of the spaces, especially in databases and storage, that was my passion. And I went and did my master's and my master's thesis in that.
0: Very interesting, and I'm sure it's helpful for viewers because you know it's quite um, somewhat of a, a risk as well going in because it's a significant investment. And somewhat can, you know, um, derail in a way or take away from other opportunities as far as staying on the work track. So how do you manage that? Or maybe if you're managing people too, of this idea of continuing, maybe climbing the corporate ladder, but also taking that time to continue to learn. And I love how you said it just dive a lot deeper to build your expertise. So do you see that in, in a certain light? Yeah, I, I, I kind of um, uh, use this phrase like
1: becoming the master of your art or domain. Um, I think it's very important whenever you're in some industry, uh, whether you're in whatever industry you're in, marketing, uh, you're, you're, you're a financial advisor or you're a computer science engineer or a mechanical engineer. It's very important to be the, the um uh, Master of your domain. You be the subject matter expert, right? Mm. You 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 want people to respect you, and 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 you want to grow in your career. It's important to be that subject matter expert. And mm. it is at least in my career, I found that once you once you are subject matter expert, then people you grow in your career, you get more responsibilities. You you are able to execute better. You're able to attract talent, um, and. And a lot of the things that you care about automatically come. So becoming that subject matter expert, whether go back to school or you know uh, learn from a mentor or uh, do courses online, whatever the mechanism is, or even in your job, do something very deep in your job. I think that's what uh, I think drives uh, success in my opinion. And that was what is the motivator for me. And I feel I still owe a lot of that to that 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 position that I took, because that led me to go to places like the Bell Labs and the Yahoo's and the Apples of the Board.
0: Yeah, it clearly worked out well for you. And, um, you know, us at Light Adventures, huge, prop- huge proponent of continuing that learning and development, uh, you know, a big fan of how many secondary schools are offering, you know, certificates as well, which are a nice way to ease into those bigger programs. And so, you know, love what you're sharing there, especially around this idea of building your subject matter expertise. So in addition to that what's some other advice especially from your leadership uh, point of view around how to build influence how to build influence in organizations uh, to really scale your impact in them
1: uh, it, it, That one of the uh, other things that I I have learned in my career is um, that there are uh, there are different philosophies where uh, you know people will focus on um, On on strengths and weaknesses, Um, I you know as a kid you are always taught that hey, you know if you are not very good at something like keep doing it, practicing it, do more of it, and you learn from it, right? And it works for some people. Some parts, some skills are like a very uh, I don't want to call it uh, it's 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 and it's it comes from you know how you are and your mental makeup and all the stuff that you do and your environment and in some cases, so, so, so when I think about uh, how I build and influence, I, I try to think about my, uh, you know what are the skills that I am good at and what are the skills I'm not good at. There are some skills I try to grow and then there are some skills I try to grow to other people. For example, I try to hire people who have, who, try to, who have a different point of view or a different set of strengths and then make that uh, team be a much more rounded team. Uh, Like for example, hire people, if I'm not good at communication, hire people who are better at communication. If I'm not very good at vision and product uh, definition, I hire people who are better at that than me. Uh, If I'm not very good at statistics and analytics, I hire people who are expert in that. And and I, I approach it with the philosophy of figure out what your strengths are, figure out what your weaknesses are, and try to build teams that then start filling in those gaps and holes, rather than trying to uh, trying to extend yourself and try to gain expertise in everything. It's not a bad thing to learn and grow in that. But there are times where you had to also think about like, how do I accomplish things with a larger team by gaining that experience, uh, that that those strengths that I don't have, and leveraging those strengths across. The-
0: Great points, and especially around building teams. And I love your humility, which is at a certain point as leaders, we need to recognize what are our areas that just aren't really going to grow. And so can we fill them in with other people? Going back to the idea of diversity too, is having that nice, diverse, rounded team um, to then help you know accomplish those goals and, and do it in a way where you're recognizing strengths and weaknesses. So in addition to building teams and bringing them on to fill gaps, um, I'm curious, what else do you do? uh to really attract top talent i know you mentioned an idea of empowerment is important for yourself you've led some you know incredible teams so how do you attract those top talent individuals
1: so uh, i i feel the, the 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 most important thing uh i personally uh, uh, have seen this for myself and i have seen uh, for uh, when i try to build teams as well is try to try to uh try to create an environment where people are able to do two things. One is they're able to work on great great problems, um, try to build innovation in those great problems, and then work with great people. So if you combine those two pieces, then what happens is then you create an environment where people want to come, they want to work together, and they want to produce great things with with other people around them. uh, the, and and obviously the empowerment piece is about making sure that those those people feel that they own whatever they do right? own it as in not like make decisions but feel like passionate and feel feel like they are the people who who are building that thing for the world in that sense right so that kind of empowerment makes people want to come and work and i i try to use that as a uh, stepping stone for getting all the top talent that i most of the people that I've worked with now have worked with me for three, four, five, sometimes ten years and the reason they want to come and work is because we try to create that environment. not only that we are attracting now people from uh, other companies and other places which who, who kind of want to buy into that philosophy as well. you know problems uh, and, and one of the things that I, I say is you know uh, there is a lot of uh, there are a lot of new buzzwords and there are a lot of new things that people talk about be it AI, be it VR, be it, you know, self-autonomous driving cars and all these things. But many of these problems have always been there. Hmm. Right? Uh, you know, creating communication tools like, you know, even this, uh, in the last few years, Slack has become a communication. But we had email, we had messaging, we have Slack, we have a uh, lot of different communication. We have audio and video. We have a lot of communication tools. And these problems have always been there. So, the, the fundamental problems of how, society has been working, has been, you know, some of the problems still remain that they were there like 20, 10, 20, 30 years ago. It's just newer, newer ways of doing it. And I think the the, the way that you can be um, successful is take some of these problems, think of new ways of doing it, innovate on that, and work with a great set of people so that you feel like you can change the world with those. people. Mm. That's the environment that you want
0: to create. Love those points, especially the great people aspect, and then balancing that with, you know, those exciting challenges around innovation that people are going to naturally gravitate towards. Um, And so then tied to the previous question of influence, we're bringing in these, you know, really high performing individuals who are oftentimes highly recruited. And so sometimes we have those personalities of people that you also have to manage as a leader. Uh, when you're really trying to unify people around the problems that you brought them in to solve. Um, So how do you manage this idea of working with really endowed, uh, maybe borderline genius individuals, but bringing them together in a team environment to work towards those problems together? Um, I don't know if there's maybe an instance or an example you could share where there was someone who didn't quite fit, but how you brought them along uh, for that unified approach.
1: So, uh, I don't want to bring any uh, particular person in, into the conversation, but I will try to um, see the, you know, one of the things that I learned, uh, especially when I was at Yahoo and other, and even my current uh, occupation or current job, uh, I do feel like having shared goals and having shared objectives and having a vision uh, brings people together. Mm-hmm. Uh, the even today we have a uh, we have a diverse team we have many folks working together in a particular team the way I try to solve a problem is to tie that problem to a end user experience or end user outcome and have all the folks work towards that end user outcome um, and bring less of uh, and obviously each person will come up with their own ideas and and, and try to try to debate the debate the uh, uh, ideas on the merits of their uh, of, of of their technical strength rather than on the personalities of the people who are presenting them. I think that is one of the things that I have tried to bring together as as we do it together with my team in most cases, right? Rather than be, and and many people have ideas, so that usually we try to work together. And make sure that the best idea and the best technical idea wins, rather than saying the person uh, uh, with the best uh, voice or the person with the best capability of delivering it wins, or or the most most uh, endowed or the most uh, uh, you know entitled person wins in that mm-hmm. sense. So. So I try to I try to bring a culture where we debate out if there are conflicts or if there are under, or, or if there are differing opinions we 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 bring it out in the open we talk it out and try to figure out what is the best best technical um, uh, way of assessing the idea and figuring out how those uh, which one of them are the better ways of doing it and approaching it.
0: Excellent point. I love the idea of bringing that autonomy in so everyone feels they have a voice, even if they maybe don't present it well, you know, surfacing up the best technical solutions and bringing that shared understanding of the common vision. Um, And I really like the idea of, you know, tying it to user impact. Um, You know, when I coach individuals, there's this idea of managing up, but I like the idea of impacting up. And sometimes we can get tunnel vision into the impact of our work but if you can help people understand what is that longer-term connection to say broader corporate KPIs or really the user impact, uh, it can really help unify the team as you're talking about.
1: And and and, uh, and I do the converse also. So when I when I see people coming to me or coming to me with or coming to my boss or my uh, management or to peers or whoever, and they come up with multiple solutions, I I in fact force them to say come up with your point of view, right? Mm. What is your opinion that we should do? Not just these are the options, you know? Ah. Um, it's, it's, it's very easy for people to say, oh, you know, I don't want to make the decision or I don't want to put, put my stake in the ground. Here are the five things. Rather say, why? which of these five things or three things should I pick and why? So have a point of view. So it's not, it's not just good to say, hey, um, I have an opinion, we should do this. It's also a good thing to say, oh, I, I, I have a bunch of solutions, but I think I picked this because of these uh, characteristics. right? Mm-hmm. Um, I think that is an, another important thing to also remember when you influence people. I, I, whenever I go to my manager or my hierarchy, it's always with, hey, these are the three things I, 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 I picked. I think this is the right thing to do. Here are the reasons of why we have to do this. Here are the pros, here are the cons, uh, do you agree? Uh, or do you have a
0: better idea? Yes, you know? yes. Yeah, you're speaking my language, PPSN, this idea of a little bit of the storytelling or the persuasion element, right? Because um, you don't just want to give the options, but why you're choosing a specific one so that then those decision makers ultimately have a better you know, way of evaluating. Uh, and it ties that thread that I love you keep bringing up of the passion, right? Is, is what is it that you actually think? What is your opinion? And infuse that with you know the actual solution so tied to all this you know some great approaches for uh, setting your teams up for success is there a particular time of success or a proud moment over your years uh that really stands out to you maybe a story of how you rallied together for you know a particularly big launch or or an engineering feat
1: yeah definitely um uh, i remember um, uh, when i was at yahoo uh we we were you know marissa joined in 20 I believe I remember correctly, and in 2015 uh, we put together the video team. It was around March of 2015 when the video team was put together, and uh, I, I, if I remember correctly, Jay Jay Rossiter, I think you remember him. Uh, he he came and told me, hey, you know, they want to do engineering, and Adam Kian also came and talked to me and said, Hey, PPSM, do we want to come and do the engineering for the video team. Uh, I said, Yeah, you know, love it, and you know, Marissa and. Adam and Jay, and we all talked together, and Philo also was there, and you know, I, I jumped in with two feet, and like, one week later, after I after after the after I joined, like, it was April or May, if I remember correctly, they said, oh, by the way, I think we are bidding for this uh, NFL uh, live stream, which may happen sometime, and I was like, heck, you know, why would the NFL, like, give us the deal for doing this, and lo and behold, you know, a week later, it was like, Oh, by the way, we are doing the first live stream that NFL has ever done from London of a game, and it's going to happen across Yahoo on all the platforms. And we need to get ready for it. And we don't know how much, how how big it will be, whether uh, we be have the technology, how we'll do it. Uh, nothing is known. Uh, let's go and get it done. And that was like a fascinating uh, four months. I remember uh, we started sometime in May or June. Uh, June, July, August, September, we worked, you know, day and night, we worked across the teams, across Yahoo. Uh, We built built our platform that can scale to millions of users to come and watch the content. We figured out how to distribute the uh, live stream across all the platforms across Yahoo, Uh, made sure that all our systems were reliable, scalable, uh, worked well, we did multiple, multiple tests uh, leading up to that. made sure that we had all our ducks in the row. And, uh, uh, you know, we, we did a pretty phenomenal job. And uh, till today, even in the industry, people still think about that as being one of the uh, pivotal moments where, you know, li- online streaming became big for, uh, you know, some of these big uh, sports leagues. So that was a big deal. And I, I felt that, well, it was a pretty proud moment. Uh, we all uh, worked together with NFL and with a lot of partners to launch that stream across all of the Yahoo platforms. And that was pretty phenomenal.
0: Yeah, what an exciting time. And as you said, sometimes you just need to dive in, you know, two feet first and figure it out along the way. Um, And what a great, you know, experience that was, uh, an innovative time for video streaming. And, you know, to be surrounded and supported by some of those top leaders. And I know you have had that experience in a variety of organizations, you know, learning from some of the best, so maybe with viewers, can you share some of the best advice you've ever received?
1: Yeah, um, one of the best advice I, I, I'm still trying to remember, like there are a lot of things I learned from, uh, you know, Jay, Jay Rossiter, David Filo, from you know Marissa and a lot of my managers over the years. Um, I think one of the first pieces of advice that I got, and I still use it with a lot of my, uh, you know, people who come to me for advice is, you know, one day I, I was a newly minted manager, I, maybe a year into it, and I was handed over like a team of like five people or something like that. And we were trying to build something. And you know, there's some of the things that you bring up, like uh, you know, people are not getting along, and they were not, there are differing opinions. And I was a new manager. And I was trying to manage all the egos and do all the things. And at one point, I was like very upset, and I was not happy that you know I was dealing with this stuff, and people are. You know, people are complaining and not working, and it was not working out. So I went to my my then manager, if I remember correctly, he was this was at Bell Labs when I was at Bell Labs, and I told him, "Hey, you know, I'm having a lot of problems. This is like not working correctly, and you know, I'm having to deal with this." And I still remember what he told me. He said, "Hey, PBSM, if everything was working great, why do I need you?" Mm. And that is like a fantastic piece of it. struck me like, wow, like. You know, at that time, I did, not, uh, I did not understand it. But over the years, as I grew as a manager, as a leader, um, I figured out like, you know, anytime anybody comes and gives you a team, it's usually typically because they want you to change something. And, and change doesn't come because you bring down the hammer. It change comes because you influence and you bring your wisdom and you coach and you mentor the team into a new situation. And I w- I won't say that I've been perfect at that. Uh, over the years, I have, have, I have faltered. I have learned from what I did wrong. I have done it again, and then I again did some mistake. But over the years, I've learned that, you know, it's it's always that way. When you get a team, something is not working. It's not about like go, like fix, fix everything. It's about coaching and bringing people together and bringing the right set of changes, understanding what the problem is. Um, picking the right set of people who can help you fix it, understanding what strengths you bring, understanding what strengths other teams bring and like uplifting the whole team. And um, I still remember that conversation today and I, I use that when, you know, even recently somebody came and asked me, hey, you know, and should I do this job? They give me this team, there's a lot of dysfunction. I said, you know, uh, if everything was per- working perfectly, why would they need you, right? I, 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 just, I just use that same line. And so that line, it, it's a It's not a negative line it's a it's a line that tells you explore the possibilities, explore the opportunities, and understand where you can make the difference.
0: Yes, yes, well said, and I actually see it as you said, not necessarily negative but actually quite positive as far as being recognized as someone who can jump into a little bit of a hot situation and make a difference and you know maybe some shifts in the culture. And I really love how you said not necessarily to fix problems because these are people, right? We're not there to just recode them, but coach and encourage them and lead and allow them to, you know, step up into maybe somewhat of a new environment that you can facilitate, um, especially during some tough times. So as we're wrapping up, speaking of tough times, you know, this isolation, it's been a little bit difficult, the ups and downs. I'm curious on a personal level uh, how you've handled it. What's, a, what's been helpful for you during the pandemic? Uh. Definitely listening to podcasts.
1: Uh, um, I, I try to uh, you know uh, when, when we were when we were physically going to the workplace, <clears throat> excuse me, um, you used to step out of the house. You used to go to your car. You should drive someplace. You used to meet new people. You should talk to people. You should stop at the uh, you know the uh, water cooler uh, or the coffee place and like discuss things. I think all that is gone now. You are in Zoom meetings. You're meetings after the other, one after the other, and just you just go through the day. A couple of things that I try to do, and my wife does that as well, is we try to take a walk uh, with the kids, so that you know you take them out and uh, you feel the fresh air. And obviously, the weather is getting a little difficult, but you know, as as time was permitting, we are doing that. The second thing is obviously you're staying away from technology as much as I. Uh, I'm a pretty workaholic person, so I, I like, because I like what I do, I, 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 I'm into technology quite a bit. So uh, into my work, and so I I end up working quite a bit. I try to step back and decompress by either listening to a podcast, uh, podcast or watching a sports game. I'm pretty much into sports, like you mentioned earlier. I, I love all sports, so I, I just watch soccer or basketball Football, in many cases, uh, and decompress that way. The thing that I am uh, most concerned about is um, with the small kids. Like they, they are they are getting into the technology-driven educational uh, uh, apparatus or environment where they are also in Zoom meetings after the other. And one of the things that I try to encourage my kids is, you know, look at the books behind you. Is to pick up a physical book and read it. And and in fact, you know, I have books here that I try to encourage them to read. Um, I think it's very important for us to, especially in this environment of COVID, where everybody's so attached to technology and we are sitting with one device or one screen or the other, we should put that away and look at a physical thing that is away from those screens. So definitely encouraging reading and physical reading of books is probably a good thing to do at this time.
0: Uh, big fan as well. Clearly have a few here and, you know, one in particular that I'm a big fan of, is called The Way We're not the way we're Working Isn't Working. And it's the idea of just shifting things up because we're constantly in front of screens, that virtual fatigue. And so just a little bit of the fresh air can be super helpful or engaging with an actual physical book. Um, and, and I'm hoping as well for the younger generations that, you know, we can get through this time and that they can, you know, continue to experience uh, what we've always had the, you know, pleasure of doing. And so as we're wrapping up and on this note of, um, you know, getting outside and doing a little bit more, I know there's a nonprofit that's uh, particularly special to you. So as we're wrapping up, maybe give them a shout out to, uh, you know, I know your wife's uh, volunteered with them as well, which is also another great way uh, to just change things up during this pandemic is to just get out and help others and serve others. So what's, the, uh, what's the nonprofit I think it's- at, at this tough time, I think
1: uh, uh, we are uh, both myself and my wife have volunteered there at Second Harvest. Uh, Second Harvest is a great place where they are trying to provide food uh, to the needy and to people who are going through tough times. There are a lot of people in this world, uh, in this country, in our localities, in our neighborhoods who are going through a tough time. I think it's important for us to recognize that some of us are uh, are in a better off state than others, and it's all our job to make sure that we take care of each other as humanity and uh, help each other. And for that, I would love to uh,
0: give a shout out to Second Harvest. Wonderful. Yeah. And especially since it's also a great opportunity to just work with your hands a bit, right? Getting off the screen, around the food and in the farm. So love that. Encourage our viewers to check out Second Harvest. Um, So PPSN, I'm really grateful for everything you've shared. And with our viewers, are there any closing words of wisdom uh, or inspiration you'd like to leave us with?
1: Um. I, I, I still go, uh, I don't know who said it. I'm sure a lot of people have said it, I, I, I including people like Steve Jobs. Uh, I feel like if you're passionate about what you do, you're not doing a single day's work in your life. And I always felt and I tell my kids that, you know, there will be good days and there will be bad days, but not for a single moment do I regret the passion that I have for building new products on, uh, you know, my, my background with computer science. Having built a lot of new products, uh, I've lived the life that I felt I fulfilled the most. So I'm happy with that.
0: Mm, love that, and encouragement to the viewers as well is just find what lights you up. And so yeah. I've you know thoroughly enjoyed learning about the joy you bring to your work as well as your personal life. Um, so thank you so much for joining PPSN and all the best. Thank you. So much gratitude to PPSN. What an amazing leader and an all-around good person. And thank you for tuning in to Story Living. I'd love to wrap this episode up with a closing prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for another day. Thank you for being so good and faithful, for helping us grow on our journeys and develop our stories as you write and guide our steps. Uh, I thank you for your good and loving son, Jesus. And for all those people listening in who may be struggling these days, uh, just a special blessing of peace over their lives. So we thank you for all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thanks for tuning in and much love.